Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rise Church. We are wrapping up our series called Restart. Everybody say Restart. And we're just talking about how to start our 2019 well, because a lot of us had a pretty uh, terrible 2018, if you look back on it. And if you didn't, you might have had a good one, but you still want to restart and start the new year as best we can. And so we've been looking over the last few weeks really about what Jesus has to say about having a restart in your life. First week, we talked about really God has a plan, a formula, if you will, a way of how he restarts things inside of our lives. And the first thing for us to do is we need to hold on to God. And the second is we need to, uh, well, we need to know God, which is our first one, and then we need to hold on to Jesus. That was kind of the first week. Second week, we talked about how to restart our relationships. And now that really there's a lot of different types of relationships that we could have throughout our lives. And then I, I kind of highlighted three characteristics of like three types of friends you need to have. The first one was um, friends that, that, that inspire you, that make you feel like you need to be better than who you are. The guys that can kind of show you uh, they kind of inspire you, really not by what they say, but they inspire you by how they live their life. Second one is uh, really you need to have someone in your life that loves you at all times, just loves you no matter what for you. And then the third one was the person that can tell you the truth, that sometimes you need to be told what to, you know about some things that you're not doing. And kind of the line we said was, is that a good friend will protect you from others, but a great friend will protect you from you, from yourself, because you need protection, and so uh, sometimes from you. And so uh, the third week, last week, we talked about how to restart our identity in Christ and how oftentimes we can pick up on these identities, these different ways of identifying ourselves and kind of use the uh, my driver's license kind of as the backdrop of that. So you're not your age, your address, or your appearance, or even your last name or where you're coming from. You really are somebody in Christ Jesus. You're brand new. You are a new creation. And so this week, we're going to wrap up, really restart. We're talking about how to restart after failures, because here's what I know. We're getting towards the end of January, and most of you have made New Year's resolutions, and you probably failed all of them already. So we are uh, going to talk about how do you restart after that, and how do you restart just after failures in general. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14 today, Acts chapter 14. A couple of highlights. If you're uh, uh, new with us, if you're a guest with us for the very first time, hey, we're honored that you're here. We give you our notes for free just kind of uh, ahead of time on version, the Bible app, so you can look it up and then go to events and search our church, or we'll put it up on the screens, or of course you can bring your Bible in and we can read together, but we'll be in Acts chapter 14 today. But before we get there, just give you some context. Acts is really a book in the Bible, and uh, it's, uh, it's in the New Testament, so you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, so towards the end of the book or at least the last half of the book. And uh, Acts is uh, really the Acts of the Apostles. It gives kind of the, 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 uh, the, it's more of a history of kind of what happened and what took place in the early church. And a lot of it, um, a, a lot of it is just kind of like some of the first disciples and what happened after Jesus uh, died and rose again. And then he, you know, gave this charge, this great commission to the church. And he's in Acts chapter 14. And uh, there's a guy, uh, kind of a prominent figure in, in, in all of the New Testament. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. His name was Paul. But before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. And he was a Pharisee, which means he knew more about the Bible than anybody. He knew more about the Torah. He walked around and he was really, really fancy. He was like, like super professional Christian. Y'all ever met those guys? They're still around today. They, they just don't dress that way, but they, they all pretend like they know more about God than you do, and they might actually know more about the Bible, and they're really, really smart, and they really, really, but they had this back then that, you know, Pharisees, they would walk around, and they would judge people, and so Paul was like this main Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy was uh, really, really um, kind of big in the Pharisee world, and he was uh, one of the number one persecutors of Christians, so, you know, for new converts or people that were kind of coming to Jesus, he was really against that, and so he was pretty preaching against him. He was killing Christians. And then all of a sudden, the Bible talks about this moment where he's on the road to Damascus, which is a city. And Jesus literally appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And he Saul, and he changed his name to Paul. And he winds up becoming one of the best disciples for Christ and walks around and starts a bunch of churches and does a bunch of things. And so Paul, at this point, has already had that happen. And so he gets together uh, with, uh, with a man named Barnabas. And so him and Paul and Barnabas go on this preaching.
preaching tour, like literally, like a preaching tour of cities. He starts in Cyprus, and Cyprus he does really well there because there's a lot of Jews, and he winds up uh, really, honestly, he's kind of like, it's a big Christian place, so he goes and he, he does really good with Christian folk because he's a Christian now, and so he's preaching about Jesus, and they're like, yeah, we're with that. And so he does really good in Cyprus, then he moves on to Antioch. And in Antioch, he actually gets to a place where there's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. So there's like a mixture of people who believe in the Old Testament, but there's also a picture of believing in Jesus. And so he kind of has a mixture of people. And so he's going in there and he does pretty good, but then they, they run him out of the city because the city officials didn't like it because they're messing up the way that they do things. And so he moves out of that city and he gets to Iconium. And Iconium, the Bible actually says he's walking around doing signs and wonders. Him and Barnabas are doing like amazing things for God. And then um, he gets wind that there's going to be assassination plot on him. And you know what he does? Because he's a smart man. Man. Yeah, he runs. He gets out of there. So you know, you know, somebody's trying to kill me. It's time to go. So he he gets out of there, and he pick we pick it up kind of uh, when he gets into the city called Lystra. And uh, uh, Acts chapter fourteen verse eight says, while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet, and he had been that way from birth. So he was crippled from birth. Okay, this is how he came out. And uh, he said, so he had never walked, so he was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed. Know this that God's looking for your faith. Okay, God's looking for your faith. Sometimes it takes our faith to, it's our faith combined with our God's faithfulness to produce a miracle in our lives. So if you're looking for a miracle, he's looking for your faith. Okay, that's good. That's not even in my notes. That's just for free. All right, so there you go. And so he was listening to Paul preach, looking straight on real he was here. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. Everybody say, stand up. This is good. We're going to come back to that. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. This is the interesting part about doing ministries, that oftentimes if you're not careful, God will invite you in on the miracles that he's doing inside of other people's lives. And you never forget, it ain't you doing the miracle, it's God. It ain't you doing the miracle, it's God. This church ain't built on me, it's built on God. God ain't doing anything. God, God, this is God's church, it's his church. God's doing amazing things, but it's God. It ain't me. And so he goes, verse 14, he says, but when the apostles, uh, we'll pick it up, go to verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard that this was happening, so they heard that people were worshiping and celebrating and like they, the, the verses go on to say that they, they started to make them gods because they were doing things in God's name. So they, that's what people do. People try to make you and prop you up. So then they found that out. This is what they do. They tore their clothing in dismay and ran among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things, turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Remember, as Christians, we're called to point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. You are not people's savior. You need to hear that. Some of you in here have a really high threshold for mercy, you have a really high threshold for helping and wanting to help, and there's nothing wrong with being merciful, nothing wrong with being helpful with people, but you need to point them to Jesus. Not to you, not to your model of church, not to your model of faith, not to your Christianity and the guy that you made good to God. You need to point them to Jesus. The whole point of this on a local church basis is I don't get up here and preach the gospel of Aaron. I preach the gospel of Jesus. We, our job as Christians is to point people to Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas knew that. And so pick it up in verse 19. And he said, then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. So they, okay, because so now, you know, here it is. So the people that they went and helped in the cities that they were in before, they show up on the scene and they start causing trouble, okay? So they start causing trouble and they turn people to their sides. And this is what they did, okay? So they got people to do this. Then they stoned Paul and dragged him out. So they stoned Paul. Paul got stoned, not in the happy, you know, lucky way in San Francisco. Like we're talking about the ugly way where people get hurt. So he says, the, the, the stoned, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. So he did all the right things. 
He was doing all the right things for all the right reasons with all the right people in all the right ways and did everything he could right and still misunderstanding, still frustration, still anger, still pain, still death, and still failure. Still doing all the right things, but still failure. And in verse 20, he says, But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Title of my message today is How to Start, How to Restart After Failure. How to, how to restart. How do, how do we restart after we do all the right things for all the right reasons and we still fail? How do we restart? And with that, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for today. Thank you that you are here. And Lord, you're ultimately speaking to us, God. You're showing us what it is to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for your church. Thank you that you are setting us apart, that we are, we are a city on a hill, God. We are light in the darkness. And I pray that today, God, we would learn something about how to restart after the failures in our lives so that we can be the successes you want us to be in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. I find it interesting, you know, it's a, what, a, what an incredible story. You know one thing I love the Bible? The reason I love the Bible is because it doesn't sugarcoat people's mistakes. It doesn't sugarcoat people's mistakes. In fact, it's kind of one of the reasons why I think the Bible is 100% accurate. Is because if you were going to write a, a, a book about what you believe and the way that you believe and a history of what you believe, you would never put in all the stuff that's in the Bible. You would never do that. You would never put in people's failures. You would never put in all these like weird things that people did wrong. You would never do that. In fact, most people who try to create a new religion or a new way of going, they always put in the highlight reels. Why? Because people want to follow perfection, right? In their minds, they want to follow perfection. But what's so amazing to me about the Bible is that it shows Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the most amazing Bible characters in the entire scripture, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who does so much for the kingdom of God to further the kingdom, especially uh, in the days following Jesus. He does so much, and yet the Bible doesn't leave out his failures. And so this part, he goes. To, the Bible shows Paul going and doing all the right things for all the right reasons and yet failing. And I, I looked at that, and I kind of like, man, that, that sounds familiar because that's your and I life. Because what's funny, here's what I know about all of us in here. We all share in this common idea of failure. Is that you and I have all put our hands to something. We set out to do something that was inside of our hearts. Something that was a dream in our hearts. You did something. You did it for the right intentions with the purest motives. And did everything right that you could have. You did everything right that you wanted to. You did everything right that you possibly could think about. And yet, you still came up short. You went out to have a kid. You all remember when you first had your kids? If you have kids in here, you remember when you first had your kids? You thought in your mind, there, I'm going to do everything I can. The right, I know everything now. I'm, like, I'm going to work it out. I read all the books. I've done all the, watched all the videos. I've, watched, you know, I've done, read all the blogs. I've talked to all the people. I'm going to raise this kid right. And then they started being raised, and then they, they became people, right? And then they started doing these crazy things that you never taught them. Y'all have said the same statement that I did. Like, who taught them that? Because it wasn't me. It must have been mom. It wasn't me, right? <laughs> and you did everything you could, but somehow there's something inside of it failed. When you got married, y'all remember that? When you first got married, you stood in the altar and you looked in her eyes or you looked into his eyes and you gazed and you thought, that man is Prince Stinking charming. This guy is going to set my life on fire. We are going to be amazing. Nothing bad is ever going to happen. And then you woke up the next day and realized all that wasn't true. And you realize all the things, all the ways you wanted to be the perfect husband and the perfect wife, and then something happened. Then life happened. You breathed your next breath, and all of a sudden something changed. 
You went into your careers. You went deciding you were going to go out and do all these things. And you did all the right stuff. Hey, you worked really hard. You went in early. You stayed late. You did the extra mile. And then the, your buddy who did nothing, who happens to be the cousin of the owner, all of a sudden he got the promotion. And now he's in the corner office. And you're looking at it going, I don't understand because I did all the right things. And yet I didn't, I didn't get what, what I wanted. Could be in school. Could be in relationships. It doesn't matter. All aspects of our lives, there's some parts of failure. But the issue with failure is this. This is important. You need to hear this. If you don't see failure accurately, it'll affect you negatively. I'm going to say that again. If you don't see failure accurately, it will affect you negatively. And the truth of the matter is, is you don't have to, um, your perspective on failure can, can throw you for a loop. And so I want to just give you an idea, maybe a little bit of a definition of what failure is. Failure, listen to me, failure is not a, it's an event. It's not a person. Failure is an event and not a person because so many of us go through life and you go after failure, after failure, after failure, after failure. You do the right thing, it still fails. You do the wrong thing, it still fails. And if you're not careful, you'll start to think of yourself as the failure and not the event. Failure is not a person, it is an event. And failure is not even the opposite of success. I know a lot of people think, well, there's success and there's failure. It's the opposite. That's not true. The opposite of success is not failure. It's actually apathy. It's doing nothing. The, the, the failure at its core is simply a byproduct. Failure and success both are simply a byproduct of action, something you did something. Thank God that you woke up and you tried something. Thank God that you had the strength to get up and do something that had something to do with inside of your heart. And you might have failed at it. But listen, that doesn't have to be a negative thing. It actually can be very valuable. And I know somebody told me this the other day. They go, well, you know, experience is, the, you know, is, experience is very, very valuable. It's the best lesson. That's not true. Experience is not the best lesson. It's not the most, it's most valuable. Evaluated experience is extremely valuable. Evaluated failure is extremely valuable. Being able to look back on what happened and why did it fail? And what did I do? And how did I not do it? And what could I have changed? And how could I have adjusted? If you're able to do that like a wise person, failure can be extremely valuable. I remember reading a story about um, the early days of Apple, you know, the, co the company Apple who makes my, my amazing phone. And, um, and uh, I love Apple. If you don't love Apple, it's okay. It's, you're wrong. But anyway, um, but, but uh, I remember reading a story about a man named David Levy, and he, he was the R&D director. He's kind of a, a guy at, uh, at Apple for research and development. And his boss, he, the first day he walked in, the boss told him, he said, listen, if I don't get an 80% failure rate at what you're doing, I'll know you're not on task. He was looking for an 80% failure rate. He says, because anything worth doing, you're going to fail at. Anything worth doing, anything you're worth looking, putting your life to, anything you were putting your hands to, I mean, that's in, the, that's in the, the world. So he's saying, listen, like, you need to understand there's a value to failure. There's a value of trying something. There's a value. And some of us have not done anything in our lives. Some of us have not taken a risk, not taken a step of faith, not taken a chance because you're afraid of failure. But you don't know this. For In order for you to accomplish anything, you need to take that step. Failure could be it, but it also could be successful. I love, like I said, the Bible's full of many people who failed. David, you know, the one we celebrate very most. The Bible says he was after God's own heart, had many failures inside of his life. But he wasn't a failure. He had many failure events, but he wasn't a failure. Noah, man, he saved mankind at one point inside of all Scripture. And yet right after that, we find him passed out drunk in front of this old town. You know, we're talking about a lot of failures inside of Noah's life. That was just one of them. And so you see that, of course, Noah had a moment of an event, but it wasn't a failure as a person. Peter, I mean, Peter, the, the apostle Peter, I mean, at the moment when he needed, when Jesus needed him the most, he winds up, what, denied. Peter's maybe most famous thing that you and I know about. You don't even need to be a Christian to know about this. But, you know, Peter denied Jesus three, not once, not twice, three times. 
you know, a lady, right? It's not once, not twice, three times. So he like, he denies him three times. And so we can look back and if you're not careful, you can go, man, Peter must have been a failure. No, he had some failure moments. And I was reading something inside a book. I'm a big reader about leadership and um, you know, because I lead an organization and try to lead pastors and churches and things like that. And um, and uh, there's a great author. His name's John Maxwell. If you don't know anything, if you're a leadership person, if you're looking to get your better leadership, there's no one better. And uh, John Maxwell, he wrote this uh, an incredible book. But he, inside the book, he wrote this down. And I wanted to share this with you because this is true. He said, the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and response to failure. Let me say that again. The difference between average people and achieving people in, is their perception and response to failure, that the, the difference is, is how we see failure. The difference is, is our perspective on failure is like, how can we actually use that to bring us about gain? So with failure, it's not if it will happen for our lives. It's not if it's going to happen in us in our lives. It's how we respond. How do we restart after failure? How do we see it in order for us to have a great 2019? So this, for the rest of the time we have left, I'm going to give you three ways to restart after failure. If you're taking notes, three ways to restart after failure. If you're taking notes, number one is this. You surround yourself with spiritual family. We're going to look back at the scripture, and it says right after he gets stoned, and they leave him for dead, so he does all the right things, and he's, they, they, they basically attack him, and then throw him out of the city, and they leave him there because they think he's dead. So if somebody thinks you're dead, you're, you're, it's pretty messed up. So he does the wrong thing, and this is what happens. This is what the Bible says. The first thing the Bible says that happens after he failed, it says this, believers gathered around him. I'm going to say that again because you missed it. Believers gathered around him. Do you want to know how you have believers gather around you after a failure? You need to have believers in your life before the failure. So here's what you can't do. And I see this all the time in churches, okay? Can I just pastor you for a moment? Because here's what I see that's frustrating to me as a pastor, because I'm a spiritual dad, right? I want you guys to have the best things ever. I have a pastor. I want to give you just some perspective, okay? I have many people who come into the church, don't meet anybody they sit next to. They sit on a chair. They look at me. They amen the pastor, and they walk out, know no one. Then something happens in their life. They have a failure moment, and then they look back at the church and say, the church wasn't there for me. Yet, no one even knew your name because you didn't go outside of yourself and do what the Bible says and show yourself friendly. And so now the church takes a bad rap. And I'm not saying the church gets it right all the time, but I am saying that oftentimes things will happen to people. They'll get, I've been, they've yelled at me already. Pastor, you weren't there for me when I was in the hospital. I'm like, I didn't even know you were in the hospital. Did you tell me? No, I just thought you would know. How am I? How, how do I know that? I don't know. You should have, man, just tell me. I'd send food. We send people. We'll just go pray for you, man. We'll do whatever we want. But you can't have believers around you after your failure if you don't have believers around you before your failure. It's so like Paul couldn't continue what he was planning on doing in his life and his vision without having believers gathered around him. There was a healing that took place, I believe, when people walked into his life. I mean, James in the, side, uh, the Bible, he talks about that. He said, we circle up, we gather around, we get people around us, not for your salvation, but for your soul's healing. There's, there's like pain in your life. There's hurts in your life, man, that, that's going to come about when you reveal what's hurt to you with other people. It's, a, it's, I've never, I've never, 
We build with spiritual family here. We build, that's what we do here. We build around this, this idea called spiritual family. I've never heard anybody say after a failure, man, I failed, and you know what? Right after that, no one was there, no one helped me out, and no one was there to make sure that I was okay, and I was awesome. No one ever said that to me ever in the history of the world. No one's ever said that. What they do say is oftentimes, man, I went through the craziest thing in my life, and you know what? My friend was there. My family was there. The believers were there. My spiritual covering was there. They were there for me. And that was the only, you hear that a lot. Man, the only reason I made it is because I had good people around me. You can't have good people around you if you don't have good people around you. Deep thoughts with Pastor Aaron today. I'm, I'm telling you what. This is, this is, have you ever noticed that you make terrible decisions when you're alone? Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? Just me? I could talk myself into anything. I could find, guess I'll do you one better. I could, I could find Bible verses that can I, can, I could literally get myself anywhere I wanted and do whatever. I, there's a lot I could do alone. Perspective often comes from other people. You don't see yourself clearly. And oftentimes you're, you're falling into the trap of going, man, if I, I'm good with, I'm just me and God, just me and God. And God's going, just me and you, you need someone else. You need someone else. Who's the people around you who's going to help you out? Like, you need some, like, somebody come, like, you, you need somebody come help you. You're, you're falling into, like, Ben and Jerry's growth model, you know? Like, you know how Ben and Jerry grows? Is you get alone and you get your pint of ice cream and you sit and you eat and watch Netflix, right? And that's your way of, like, that's your way of medicating or getting better. That, that's, that's all it does is cover the pain. All it does is cover things up. You don't actually fix anything. And so if you have a moment of failure, the worst thing you could do is sit alone. That's where self-talk happens. That's where head talk happens. It's not the greatest. We rarely are objective from our failures. I, I was uh, traveling at one point, and uh, a few months ago, we were on the plane. And I, you know, the, before the, the plane's taxiing off, the flight attendant gets up, and they start saying all these things. And she, she says, she says in, in event of cabin pressure failure, you know, she says, in event of cabin pressure failure, um, you know, these yellow, uh, you know, things are going to jump down and you're going to, they're masks and you're going to have to put them on yourself. And they said, hey, but, but if you, if you um, make sure when you, once you put it on yourself, the people around you, make sure, especially if they're kids, if they're young, you, you need to help them put their mask on as well. And it got me thinking is because, you know, in, in the event, my, my question to you is in the event of failure in your life, who's around you? Like, who, who's, who's going to help you when, when you, you can't help yourself? Who's going to help you put your mask on? There's a lot of young people in ministry. There's a lot of young people in Christ. A lot of people who don't know how to handle failure as a Christian. You know how to handle it as a person, which typically is Ben and Jerry's, right? It's crying. It's a little bit, hey, let me go to Facebook. Let me process my pain. Let me shout things from Facebook. Let me say everything I can from Facebook. Because anybody, you're so brave. You're so brave behind the keyboard when nobody can come after you. You're so brave leaving the comments on the video. You're so brave leaving those ratings. You're so brave making your statement. You're so brave. But, 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 but when you're younger in Christ, you don't know how to handle failure. You don't know how to handle issues. You don't know how to process well. And if you're not careful, you'll lose out on the oxygen that you need to breathe. And there's going to be somebody around you. You're going to fail one time, and you're going to need the ability to sit around somebody who's going to be like, you need to put the mask of Jesus on. Come on, put the mask of Jesus. You need to get a little bit of that Bible, and you turn say social media off. It ain't right. Netflix ain't got all the answers. Come on, like Wikipedia is not always right. Come on, like anybody can put it on there. 
I saw somebody, anybody can put it on the internet, it must be true. That's the opposite of what the truth is. And so like your, 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 your issue sometimes, our issue sometimes is that we haven't surrounded ourselves with the right people. And you can't get, like Paul couldn't get to where he needed to get to without someone, spiritual family around it. We build in spiritual family here at Rise Church. That's number one. Number two is this. You need to get up. Everybody say get up. Yeah. All right, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, okay? I'm going to take a moment. Whatever grace I have from you, whatever change, spiritual change I have for if you trust me in any way, I'm going to use it all today, right now, on this point, okay? So don't get up and get mad and walk out. I want you to just stick around and let me, let me just make my argument to you, okay? We'll just say, oh, yeah, shake your head, okay, good. Under God, he, heard, he saw you, all right? Um, Bible goes on to say, believers gathered around him. That was step one after he, got, he failed. And then the second one is he's, he's, he... Got up. He got up. Paul, who was wronged, who was hurt, who was offended, who had pain, who got angry, who was hurt and killed, was left to die, got up. Failure is going to happen. We talked about that. And the lie, listen to me. The lie that the enemy uses to keep you down is that it's going to last forever. That your season, hear me now, I'm going to teach you a new word today. Season of failure is going to last forever. And when you're stuck in that lie, you know what you do? Nothing. Because you think it's going to last forever. Why would you ever do anything different? Why would you try? It's just going to last forever, Pastor. It's always going to be like this. It's always going to happen like this. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to struggle like this. We're always going to have these failures. And you start to say all these things, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'm going to teach you something. It says, for everything there is a season. Everybody say season. A time for every activity under the sun. There, there's going to be a season where you're going to get hurt and there's going to be some failure and you're going to need to heal a little bit. You got to get around people and you're going to have to you know, gather around believers and spiritual family. There's going to be a season for that, but then eventually the season's going to be done. Amen. Like eventually, enough is enough. Eventually, I can't pray for you anymore about the same thing. What, I sometimes wonder what God thinks about our prayers. We're stuck, something happened. It's not that something didn't happen, church. It's not that you didn't get hurt or get offended or didn't get, it's not that something didn't fail in your life. It's that just eventually, enough is enough. You gotta get up. Enough is enough. Some of you in here right now have been feeling the failure of years. 2019 is a new year. 2018 is over, 2017. All the other 20s are done, right? They're gone. Let them be. They're there. It happened. It was a failure. You're in pain. I, I address that, and I, I'm sorry for that. But it's time to get up. That season's done. It's time to move on. I had my gallbladder taken out in August of last year, and um, I remember I've never had major surgery before, never. And um, It's not the major, I guess, but, you know, I man, shoot, if I had a hangnail, I feel like it's major problems. So I, I'm like... <laughs> I was in pain. You can ask my wife. I was a big baby. And so I'm not a person with pain that does well. And um, so I'm in the bed and I, day after. And I remember my doctor said, he said, hey, Aaron, listen, if you don't get up and move around, you're going to be in pain. Look, you, you missed it. You spiritual. I'm trying to get spiritual with you with some physics. I'm trying to show you. Okay. He said, you need to get up. Everybody say, get up. Get up. Come on, look at your neighbor that you don't really like. Say, get up. Yeah, get up. Okay, so, so yeah, that's easy because y'all get to talk to each other. So get up. So he said, get up 
and move around so that you aren't in pain. That does not make sense to me. Because to me, I'm laying down and I don't want to move because I'm in pain. And he goes, oh, you're in pain? I'm like, yeah, I'm in pain because you cut me open, doc. <laughs> oh, you're in pain. Okay, well, get up. No, you don't understand. I'm, I'm in pain. He says, get up. No, 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 but, I, but I'm hurting right now, but, but get up. No, you don't get it. Like, I got cut. You cut me. You saw I got, I, got, I got cut. I need to pray and ask God to take the pain away. And I feel like God sometimes saying, get up. Like, like, like eventually, eventually your victim mentality is going to continue to bring you pain. Jesus had an interesting story. He said he, he, it was in John chapter five and there was a man who wanted to be healed. And he looked at G, and Jesus looked at him and he said, do you want to be healed? And the sick man said, yes, sir, I, I, I do. But I have no one to pull. He, he goes back to point out all the past again. There was no one there to put me in the pool. I mean, I'm hurt and I'm broken and everybody who can run into the pool and get healed got healed. And Jesus, he didn't ask him what hurt him. He didn't ask him what was wrong. Are you in pain? What he asked him was, do you want to be healed? And the guy said, yeah. And he started pointing to all these things. And Jesus says, stop, you're not. Do you want to be healed? And Jesus said to him, just get up and take, come on. He said, get up, get, so we said, get up, get up, take up your bed and, and, and walk. Some of us are stuck. We have made beds in our pain. You, you, have, you have become comfortable in your uncomfortable pain. And I wonder how long you, you had to, you, didn't, you, did you, you don't have to be in that pain anymore. You don't have to. Jesus is saying, get up. The, the sick man needed to get up, stop praying for the sick, for the for the miracle and get up. Jesus is saying, you want to be healed, get up like you. You play a part in your miracle. Get up. Stop being in pain. And I know that's like, you know, like not very loving, <laughs> but I'm trying to help you. I'm, I'm trying to help me in this. That Eventually, my focus has to be different. The last one is this is you walk. So he surrounded himself with spiritual family. The second one is he got up. And the third thing is this is you need to walk with vision to the future. The Bible goes on to say the next day he left with Barnabas for what? For, for, for Derby. He left for the next place he was going to go preach at. So that makes no sense, God. Like he just failed a bunch of times. And then he just was doing like amazing ministry. And then they almost killed him and threw him out of the city. <laughs> I mean, he failed. Why would he? And, and, and the Bible is encouraging us. If you want to restart after your failures, we need to walk with right vision towards the things that are ahead. We look where we want to go. We look where we want to go. We look where we want to go. We, we look where we want to go. You ever uh, remember when you learned driving? Y'all remember back then when some of y'all are teenagers like, I just learned yesterday. Pat. Yeah, okay, so like... <laughs> Some of you need to go back to driving school, and uh, most people in San Antonio need to go back to driving school. And, 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 and so, so, so when you started, when you, I can just talk about driving. I get amens all day. And so, uh, uh, but, but when you learned how to drive, you know one of the things they taught you when you drove is that be, keep your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes where you're wanting to go. Be careful with your eyes drifting 
because where you look, you'll go. And have you ever noticed that when you're driving and you're looking at the curb, you tend to get closer to the curb? Anybody else like do that, you know? You ever notice that how when you're driving and you get a text message and you look down and your car goes, there's a reason there's a law against that. Because where you look, wait a minute, wait a minute, where you look tends to be where you go. If you keep looking at your past, come on, come on, come on. I'm not going to look at you when I say this. If you keep looking at your past, you might stay there, right? Psalms 121, there's a psalmist that's writing inside Scripture in the Old Testament. And he writes this interesting Scripture. He writes, he says, he uses this language that's all throughout Scripture. But he says this, he says, I lift my eyes. I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. I mean, he talks about it so much, and it's all throughout Scripture. The New Testament's full of it. The Old Testament's full of it. And they use that statement, I lift my eyes. I lift my eyes. Recognizing, I think the Bible has something to say about where your gaze is, where your vision is, where you're looking at. If you're constantly looking at your past, you're never going to get towards your future. You need to be vision-driven not victim-driven. Vision-driven, not victim-driven. Victims look at the past all the time. They stare at it. They study it. They, they wallow in it. They make their beds in it. Come on, we just talked about that. They're constantly looking at the past, at who victimized them, and they become the thing that they look at oftentimes. But we're not called to do that. We're called to be vision-driven, not victim-driven. That there is, a, there is a principle that God talks to us about. And even in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Paul says this. He says, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past. I'm going to forget the past, looking forward, looking forward. Everybody say forward. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. I have vision for my life on what's coming up next. Vision, if you need to know this. I'm a, lead, I'm a leader. I love to teach leadership. I'm a leadership junkie. I read leadership books all the time. And I, everybody has their own vision of, uh, definition of vision. I'm going to give you mine. Just, it's just a simple, basic vision, especially if you're a Christian here. A vision is simply a combination of purpose, goals, and strategy. God gave you a God-given purpose. You need to align and know what your goal, what your purpose is. Then you need to have goals to accomplish that, like I'm going to put on some um, actual goals that are attainable, that are measurable, something I can actually put on paper. I'm going to write down the vision, make it plain. That's what the Bible says. Goals, and then I'm going to use and create some strategy to accomplish those goals. If you do that, God gives you the vision to accomplish some of these things. We do that in our church. You need to do that in your life, in your marriage, with your kids. You need to have a vision for your life and do what Paul did. He said, now it's time for Derby. Man, that was terrible. That sounds awful. I don't want to go get stoned again. That was awful. I'm not trying to go die, but I have a vision for my life. That's where I'm going. I have a purpose. I have some goals. And here's my strategy. I'm going to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in every place I can. You have a purpose in life. And if you don't walk with your vision towards it, you'll never attain it. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read you a story. And, um, and we'll wrap it up. It says, at the age of seven, a young boy and his family were forced out of their home. Talking about Failure. Talk about restart after failure. Talk about what failure is. Talking about failure in your life. You need to redefine, right? If you don't see failure accurately, it'll affect you negatively. They're forced out of their home, and the boy was forced to go to work. When the boy was nine, his mother died suddenly. 
another failure. Then he started a job as a store clerk and lost it when he was 20, another failure. Then the young man wanted to go to law school but had no education, another failure. And he went to a massive debt and he was 23, another failure, to become a partner in a small store. It was only three years later that his business partner died and left him with a debt, the same debt that took him years to repay, another failure. Then he started dating a girl and after four years at the age of 28 decided to ask her to marry him. She said, uh, no, another failure. 37 years into his life, he was elected to Congress and on his third try. Two failures and then on his third try. And then he tried to be reelected and failed to do so. Another failure. And this man had a son. At the age of four, his son died. Another failure. And at the age of 45, he ran for the Senate and failed to be elected. Another failure. And he persisted at politics, ran for the vice presidency at age 47. You would think, come on, you must have learned your lesson. And then he again lost. Another failure. Towards the end of his life, at the age of 51, this man was elected president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln. If you don't see failure accurately, it will affect you negatively. That man had plenty of opportunity to just go, you know what, I guess this is my lot in life. I guess I'm just a failure. But we learned that failure is not a person, it's an event. And that sometimes things happen inside the world that's pretty terrible. Every time I turn on the news, it gets worse. And I read the Bible so I know where it's going. It's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. And so for me, if I'm not careful, I can fall into the category of going, man, I'm just going to fail and I'm going to be a failure and all this is going to happen is going to be a failure. You're not a failure. We talked about last week that you are in Christ. In Christ, you are a new creation. In Christ, you're victorious. In Christ, you are somebody. And, and for us to get a restart in 2019, to restart after failure, listen to me, to restart after failure, you're going to have to surround yourself with spiritual family. You need someone in your life. You need people in your life. Life happens in circles, not rows. Second is this, is that you need to get up. Eventually, you're going to have to stop crying about it. This is me as your dad saying, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not minimizing your hurt. It's terrible what happened. But it's time to let go of it. It's time to move on. It's time to get up. And the third thing is you need to walk with vision towards what God has for you. God has an amazing future for you, but you have to gaze upon your vision. You've got to gaze upon your future. You've got to gaze upon what God has for you so that you can obtain it. And that's my prayer for you in 2019 as your pastor, is that God would do amazing things in your life, but we, can have, we have a part to play. And I pray that you restart well after all the failures in your life. I want to restart well after all the failures in my life. And that's my prayer for you in 2019.